This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Heal. So Katie, today the Prime Minister is making a short visit to Iceland to go see the Council of Europe. And he's got a message and it's all about migration. Tell us about it. So this is Rishi on the world stage week um, because you have Rishi Sunak heading to the G7 in Japan next. Now, I think what's interesting about the Council of Europe trip is a PM does not typically need to go to the Council of Europe. So Rishi Sunak choosing to go to this meeting in Iceland is, yes, in part Ukraine, but I think a large part of the political reasoning, and it's something I first reported in the Times last week, um, his plan to go there, is relating to small boats. So ultimately, cooperation to tackle illegal migration, but specifically, I think, an appeal to this group and he's having meetings with the ECHR president there, is the plan, over Rule 39. Now, that is the part of the current arrangement in Strasbourg, which prevented the first deportation flight taking asylum seekers to Rwanda last summer. And he's going to be calling for a reform of this. Now, that is along with, I think, a wider appeal to other European leaders to suggest that ultimately needs to be a rethink in terms of illegal migration and how best to tackle it. Now, I think this is interesting because there are, of course, some saying, oh, Rishi Sunak's facing lots of pressure from the right, so he's trying to you know, show some red meat to do this trip. I mean, I think the small boats pledge is so important. Rishi Sunak needs to try and do whatever he can do to have a hope of pointing to progress by the time of the next election. So so this is this is a motive. But also, if you look at the rebellion in the House of Lords last week on the small boats bill, you have a situation whereby I think that lots of the figures, perhaps such as the Archbishop of Canterbury, are depicting the government's scheme as unethical, mm. as something which is uniquely cruel. And... If Rishi Sunak were to be able to point to other European leaders, and there are really some signs of this, but I think wider in terms of Macron, Maloney, as adopting an approach which has uh, similarities to the UK one, it would be much harder, I think, to depict the UK as an outlier. And that's important for a few reasons, not just because obviously it puts pressure on the ECHR to say, is this system currently fit for purpose? Is reform needed? But also it makes it easier for Rishi Sunak in terms of some of his domestic critics, I think, to, to say, well, look, you're saying this, but what's your plan for people smugglers? So I think those are two things that are going on with this visit. Now, of course, Rishi Sunak, if he cannot get the Rwanda scheme to work, if he cannot point to various things, will be under pressure to leave the ECHR. So I think this part of this appeal is to say, well, if that happens here, where else could it happen if you don't begin to change? Mm. I think this is uh, yeah, interesting, as Katie says, that the government is very keen that after a couple of years where perhaps the UK was seen as an international outlier for some reason, some good, some bad, that this is much trying to sort of couch it in being part of the kind of European family. Obviously, different nations are trying different strategies to deal with the migration crisis. We've discussed some of them on this podcast before. Germany's got a migration minister, for instance. The Netherlands is putting you know, migrants on barges to, to house them. Um, so I think this is an attempt really to try and sort of get together some kind of international agreement with these, these changes to the Rule 39 and the ECHR to try and show that this is something not unique just to the UK or the UK acting as a sort of bad faith actor. Uh, and similarly, it's also interesting, I think this is obviously one of the only 
four meetings that the European Council have had since 19, the 1940s. And that shows, I think, the UK is trying to find the right forum to conduct itself post-Brexit, because obviously during when we remember the European Union, there were regular meetings between different heads at different sort of forums, etc. And now I think the UK is trying to find out where, where the best forum is to kind of raise these complaints. And this is obviously Rishi Sunak has elicited upon this uh, and the best way to try to move forward. Yes, absolutely. And James, remind us, where are we with the illegal migration bill? Because as Katie says, it had uh, taken some uh, amendments from the Lords. So where are we now with that bill? Yeah, we're going through committee stage of it. So that's when they're going to be discussing what changes need to be made uh, before they go back for the third reading on it in the House of Lords. And Katie, we are on day two of the National Conservatism Conference. What has it been like today over in the Emmanuel Centre and what has been the fallout from the first day of speeches? Because Suella Braveman had some pretty punchy words yesterday that we talked about on the podcast. So I think by far the attendee that has received the most attention and perhaps is the most likely to, though Lee Anderson is still to come. <laughs> Uh, is Suella Braverman, and that's because she is the Home Secretary. So, so in fairness, the Home Secretary could have given a speech really anywhere, and people would pay attention to it. You see today some fallout from her speech. Now, I think as we talked about earlier this week, she's talking about retraining, about uh, more UK workers becoming less reliant on cheap foreign labour, is the argument she is making. And this has been read in two ways. One is, is this an audacious leadership bid? There are certainly a few paragraphs talking about her backstory, her her upbringing. And, you know, and that tends to be what you hear when we start to talk about leadership parades. And then, of course, also, what is her what is her agenda in terms of using this public speech to affect an agenda indoors inside that in terms of conversations happening right now inside government about controlling immigration i think on the first question well supporters of Suella bravman would no doubt point to the fact that she did agree to speak at this conference some time ago mm. it wasn't as though the tories lost 1000 council seats and then she said you know what <laughs> <laughs> this is what i want to do this week though of course i think it was always um known that this was going to be a tricky local elections for the Tory party. So the counter as well, it was quite near after what you thought would be a difficult event. So I think some of her colleagues, and certainly, for example, you had Robert Buckland today on Sky News saying, Sarah Bravo would be much better spending her time in the Home Office because she's very busy and she has a lot to do. Well, let's hear a bit of it now. Now, I don't think Robert Buckland is a perfect messenger when it comes to voices number 10 or the Home Office are going to be particularly worried about, given he will forever be known as one of the switchers, um, someone who backed Rishi Sunak, and then when the polls started to go the other way, decided to back Liz Truss. But it does certainly, I think, reflect unhappiness with some in the party, that what they think at a time when the party should be unifying, and that was certainly the message from Rishi Sunak last night when they met for this garden party to belatedly celebrate the coronation which is you know that's unite and deliver you have senior members of the cabinet creating headlines but I think while there is clearly a little bit in terms of some people at least dipping the toe in the water this is not quite yet I think full leadership engineering <laughs> and um, let's see you know things dial down a bit once you get past this conference the fact that you have so many figures on the stage you know, Miriam Cates Danny Kruger etc I think just does mean that it's unfortunate timing for Rishi Sunak there is a platform where the loudest voices are now getting loads of attention in terms mm. of their views on the party and the consequence of that is it means it looks as though Rishi Sunak is not saying much because he's not saying very much about his vision at a time when lots of people are very happy to fill the void. I think we have to see if things 
dial down and start to contain themselves once this conference, which is, you know, 24 hours to go, is out of the way. And James, now on day two of the conference, uh, the headliner, as it were, today was Michael Gove, the housing secretary. What did he have to say? Well, Michael Gove's really interesting. You know, he's he's been on a bit of a journey like the rest of the Tory party over the kind of you know, 15, 20 years he's been an MP and been in conservative politics, really. He was just really issuing a warning that the conservatives won't win by just the culture war alone. And I think, you know, you look at the polling, he's right that things like the cost of living, people wanting a better life, etc. Those are the key, the key things that will be... Uh, voted upon. And there is a danger, I think, at these conferences that you can perhaps get swept up and talking to the party faithful. The danger is, of course, is that you are a minister in a government office and that people can conflate the two together as um, certain people would like to think that certain MPs sounding off naturally represents government policy. Um, but really, he was kind of there to, I think, almost on a mission to not commit news mm-hmm. and really issue kind of a, a, a more kind of centrist tilt, perhaps, to uh, some of the things we've been hearing in recent days. But uh, Michael Gove is see, the consummate politician and can uh, create stories whenever he wants. And I think it was interesting to James's point there that it was almost um, a counter to some of the other speeches we've heard mm. at this conference, which have been very much the right of the Tory party. So, so again, if you speak to um, friends of Michael Gove, They'll point out he agreed to this quite a long time ago. So anyone in cabinet speaking at this conference this week, I think, uh, is keen to make the point that they did not agree to this as soon as there were bad results for the party. But by making that culture wars argument of saying elections are not won on elections are not won on culture wars, they're won on lots of these, you know, issues such as the NHS, the economy, um, public services. I think it, it is just it's almost as though Michael Gove has decided to use his appearance to slightly cool down the temperature at the NatCon conference, uh, and in doing so, obviously praising it as an area of, of an area of debate is at least, um, I think, at a time when lots of people are saying, "Oh, look at the revolt on the right." Rishi yeah. Sunak cannot get away from that. I think it is cooling the temperature in that bit. Now, Michael Gove did say one thing which caught our ears, which was that when asked to recommend things for Conservatives to be reading, he recommended The Spectator. So thanks very much for listening. And if you don't already read The Spectator, what are you waiting for? No matter what your politics. No matter what your politics. It's true. We are a broad church. Um, James and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening.